0: Welcome to True Crime Garage, wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host Nick, and with me as always, the original third member of Wham!, but he was released due to creative differences, because you see, the famous line, wake me up before you go-go, well he insisted that it should be, don't wake me up, just go-go, the very insensitive Captain.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you, it's good to be seen and it's good to see you. Hey, I like my sleep, rest in peace George Michael.
0: I was a fan, Captain. It sounds like you were a fan as well.
2: Well, that man had golden pipes.
0: Well, let's tip our 40s to his memory. Today, we are drinking Global Warmer by Six Point Brewery in Brooklyn, New York. Garage grade, four out of five bottle caps. This is a red ale, Imperial Double. This is a different type of winter warmer beer global warmer is cloudy unfiltered and hop intensified global warmer is brought to us by some of the nice warm people that visit our garage each week first we have julie in corpus christi texas who says she loves the show and hopes that we continue to do the show for years to come we also have craig from parts unknown unknown who says to keep up the good work fellas and next we have shannon in zanesville ohio we also have Wendy, Wendy whom I'm guessing is probably from Florida cuz she rec- recommends Swamp Head Brewery in Gainesville, Florida. I'll be in Florida next month and maybe I can get my hands on some of that Swamphead. We also <laughs> have, We also have Scott who says to check out Turtle Anarchy Saison when we can and last but not least we have rebecca from fayetteville arizona she thanks us for our hard work and adding that we have changed plane and car travel forever that's right we are quite innovative (laughs) so cheers to you and thank you all to julie craig shannon wendy scott and rebecca for helping us this week and if you want to buy us around for next week's show or a future show just go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button
2: and like always where did that couch in?
0: And Captain, I have a little announcement to make. Uh-huh. Uh our Our whole setup here kind of changed for the people that donate to the uh, beer fund each week. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, the we like to give a shout out back. You know, pay it back
1: yeah whatever reason you like to put that
2: money in your pocket
0: (laughs) (laughs) well for whatever reason our website no longer tells us where the person that kicks into the beer fund is from so (laughs) if you want us to give you a shout out and mention your name uh just happen to throw in in the notes there what city you are located in and we'll give you a shout out and thank you to everyone who contributed to the beer fund this year
1: And if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can do so. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, all that. I mean, I've been posting some weird Snapchats. They got these weird filters. I turned myself into like a Santa baby, and uh, I think I creeped everybody out. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, you can do so at True Crime Garage.
0: All right, that's enough of the business. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer, and let's talk some true crime.
1: this is true crime garage and this is the case of Diane Schuler
0: Can you give a, a more detailed description of what happened before she went off on the trip yeah, like home? Like what Sunday. you what you had to eat together, what mm-hmm. conversation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, come mm-hmm. to me. Right from the moment you woke up. I woke up at 6 o'clock, went down to my boat to clean it out, do what I got to do. Came back about 4 to 7, 7 o'clock, I woke her up, saying we have to start cleaning the camper so we can start getting home before traffic. She woke up. Started packing the bags slowly, started waking the kids up slowly, started getting the kids dressed. We unloaded the camper, all the bags outside the camper, and I walked them to the car and we load them up. We had a cup of coffee, two cups of coffee, and then we left. Do you remember your last words? Yeah, I kissed everyone goodbye and my wife. Thank you. locate the kids and
1: they the best they could the best they could come up with was that they were on they were at the tarrytown Rest center i'm trying to help a friend of mine uh his sister took his go- his girl's
0: camping they're very young girls the oldest is nine the girls the girls just called in distress they said that the, the aunt is driving very erratically we think she's sick the aunt isn't picking up the cell phone right now the sister called. She can't talk anymore. There's three kids in the
1: car. They're trying to five. They're trying to locate her. The woman's name is Diane Shula. Can you just put
0: it out to the post car Okay. And see if they could locate her because the 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 woman that's driving the car they think is having a medical emergency because she, she called and that she couldn't talk anymore and she's got five kids in the car.
1: I need to know uh, who's name the car is registered to.
0: Warren. This my car? It's your
1: car. Yes. Yeah.
0: Most of you will know that uh, from the trailer and from the sound clips involved in the trailer that today we are talking about the Taconic Parkway crash that took place July 26, thousand and nine. Now you're saying, well, this sounds like an accident, Nick. Mm-hmm. Why uh, sounds like an accident that you're doing the show, but it also <laughs> sounds like a, a car accident. Yeah, yeah. However, we back in uh, at the end of October, we did our. Uh, very fun Halloween show. If you've not checked that out, go back and check that out. But what we did was we both picked our top 10 favorite true crime documentaries. And after that was released, we had a lot of great feedback from the listeners stating, you know, oh, I, you've given me documentaries to watch and mm-hmm. that I'm excited to check out. Uh, have you seen this one? Have you seen that one? And, and then be-
1: overwhelmingly we got you sh- we should check out there's something wrong with aunt Diane.
0: Yeah, which I th- was originally released on HBO, um, and I watched it recently on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is some ways to to find that out and to watch it for yourself. But as the captain said, we had a ton of people saying this is one of my favorite uh, "quote unquote" true crime documentaries. So that's what we will be discussing today. So well,
1: to- and, and we had uh, one of my buddies, Jess, tell me, hey, you guys shouldn't cover this. This is not a this is not a crime this is you know maybe drunk driving but like you were stating earlier to me um, the police then they they ruled this a homicide
0: yeah yeah according to the Westchester medical examiner the crash was quickly ruled a homicide because all of the victims were killed due to Diane's driving regardless of the toxicology findings that, that they would uh, come up with weeks after the crash so to to set this up, Um, Diane Schuler is the driver of of the vehicle that caused the accident, that caused the crash. And um, she was born in 1973. She was the fourth child of Warren and Eileen Hance. Uh, She's the only girl in the family. Mm -hmm. Uh, When Diane was about nine years old, her mother left the family. Now, this would be something that she didn't seem to like to talk much about or to go into much detail of. Um, But it sounds like her mother may have left with a neighbor man or a family friend. Mm -hmm. Um, but after she leaves, Diane kind of takes on some of the mother type roles. I hate, I hate to box that into the mother category because it's not mom's job to clean the house or clean the kitchen. So I don't want any of that feedback, but that's what took place, took place in this situation. Her being the only girl, she took on some of those duties that the, the mother might have, generally done beforehand now at some point in their lives the her and her brother's lives the mother did reappear and reach out to the different children and try to have some type of relationship with them make
1: amends of some kind
0: and i'm not certain at what point in their lives this took place but it sounds like that diane was not accepting of her mother where the other children have some sort of relationship with her now However, once she left the family and left Diane's life, Diane chose not to let her back into hers. Diane is described by friends and family as a very smart woman, uh, hardworking. Uh, She seemed to be the take charge kind of person. Her friends and family all said that if there was any kind of situation, regardless of family or what, what you were out to be doing that day, she was always taking charge of each situation. Uh, she, as we said, hardworking, she worked her way up the ladder at a big business. Uh, she worked for Cablevision, uh, and she was the director of credit billing and collections. Mm. And she earned approximately like a hundred thousand dollars a year. So she was a driven person. She was successful. Uh, she was married to Daniel Schuller, and her and Daniel, um, they had two kids together and, uh, they worked opposite schedules though. Daniel was a uh, security guy and he worked, uh, which is you know primarily a night job, and that's what he worked. He worked lots of nights. Uh, and Diane worked more traditional hours with uh, her job at the Cable Vision Company. As we said, Daniel and Diane had two children. These were young children, a uh, young daughter and young son uh, at the time of this crash. Um, and she, they also had three nieces. And the way that what they were doing this weekend, what led up to this was they had taken a family camping trip. Okay. Yeah. And they took the three nieces like a along with them. Yeah.
1: Like the typical, you know, you park your trailer at a little spot and maybe there's a lake and, and the Schulers, they had a boat. Mm-hmm. So they're going get out on the boat.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's a summer, you know, it's the summer months. It's July. It's, uh, you know, probably great weather. You get out on the boat with your family and you have a great time. Well, on Sunday, it's time to leave. This is Sunday, July 26th. And around 9.30 a.m., Diane left the Hunter Lake campground. Now, she's driving a 2003 Ford Windstar van. This is a red color van with the ski rack. Uh, And it's not her van. It's a a vehicle that was borrowed from Warren and Jackie Hance. Um, Warren is her brother. And they are also the um, parents of The The three three nieces, three daughters. So in the vehicle with Diane were, uh, her five-year-old son, Brian, her two-year-old daughter, Aaron, and as said, her three nieces, this is Emma, who is eight years old, Allison, who is seven and Kate, who is only five years old. Now, Daniel, her husband is leaving the campgrounds that day as well at the exact same time, as a matter of fact, but he's in a truck and he's going to be traveling alone. Um, and a witness at the campground who had seen them that morning and saw them leaving said that everything mm. appeared to be normal. This is just a family packing up and heading home for, from a great weekend trip.
1: Well, and like you heard in the trailer, Daniel is talking about their, you know, what happened when they woke up, they woke up, had a couple, cu- cup, of coffee, you know, a couple cups of coffee. Uh, then he goes down to the boat. He does what he needs to get done and, and wraps that all up and probably connects the boat to the truck trailer. Mm-hmm. And then she's going to take off separate. So again, he's he's claiming that there was nothing odd about. There was no fight. There was no argument going on. Um, and she packed up the stuff and packed up the kids and went on their way.
0: Mm-hmm. And the the general idea here is that Daniel's going to head straight home. Um, he's you know he's got the truck and he's going to go straight home. And now Diane with. Uh, with the children is going to stop off at McDonald's to get breakfast or get something for her and the kids to eat. Mm -hmm. Um, So they make their stop at the McDonald's restaurant and um, the cashier there says that he remembers seeing Diane and the children and that nothing seemed to be abnormal to him. Um, And uh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there because, you know, foreshadowing away, uh, you know, set aside, but he, he straight up says, you know, she did not seem intoxicated or under the influence of anything, nor does he smell any alcohol on her breath.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I've gone through McDonald's drive through at night mm-hmm. intoxicated. I, I don't promote drinking and driving, but sometimes it happens. Uh, buzz driving is drunk driving. Um, the To me, is there much weight to this eyewitness? Not much. And the reason why I think that... Is because the exchange is going to be so quick. Right. You know, you're going to, you go to window one, you give the, your money, you go to window two, grab your food. How much, how much do you actually talk to the person handing you your food?
0: And even if you go into the restaurant itself, it, it you know, it's nine 30 on a Sunday. Right. It people, I don't even like McDonald's, but I find myself there for breakfast about uh-huh. once. There's nothing wrong with McDonald's once every other month. Yeah. Um, you know, because it's convenient and it's there and it's quick, and I'm sure, like said, there's so many people in and out of there that he may or may not. My, have...
1: By the way, you went to McDonald's today. I, I so.
0: did. I did. By the way, um, so they stop at the McDonald's and nothing seems to be abnormal to anybody. Now at 10:46 a.m., Diane stops at a Sunoco gas station. Mm-hmm. Uh, And this, she goes in and she asked for some kind of pain medication. This would be your typical over-the-counter type pain medication. I don't know what type she specifically asked for. I'm guessing maybe Advil or something Mm -hmm. of that nature. But for whatever reason, the Sunoco did not carry uh, the pain medication that she was looking for. Now, she did speak with the gas station attendant. And he says that, uh, again, everything seemed normal here. You know, she doesn't seem to be intoxicated or acting strangely to him
1: and, and right. And l- unless she has an allergy of some kind to a different pain medicine, like to me, if her pain was that bad, if it was a headache, I mean, to me, it doesn't matter if it's Tylenol or Advil. You know, I, I just normally just use the one that are paying us, you know, to, you know, present their brand to the, our, our listeners. But, um, uh, so to, to me, I find that odd where, if, if she was in pain and they said, well, we don't have this kind, but we have this other kind. Then why don't you just take that other kind?
0: Right. Right. So, that seems strange to me. Cause it-
1: so maybe she wasn't in that much pain. Maybe this is a headache or, and, and, and again, we won't know this, but what, what if she wasn't in pain? What if she was stopping to get, uh, you know, pain medicine for one of the kids, mm-hmm. you know, maybe she asked for, and this, the, here's the thing with eyewitness accounts. Would this change the whole, you know, speculation and the whole conspiracy and all all that kind of stuff with this crash. If she was actually asked, you know, what if she was asking for children's Tylenol? Mm -hmm. And then she said, well, we don't have that. Right. You know, but she didn't, then when she's talking to the cops, she doesn't register all she has for children's Tylenol.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so far, nothing out of the ordinary here, but now the next spot on the timeline is where things I think things Mm -hmm. start to seem weird to me, you know? So now that we're at 1137 AM and Diane using her cell phone calls Jackie Hance, Uh, this is the mother of the nieces that are traveling with her. And she calls basically just to say, you know, we're running later than we expected. Uh, I'll Mm -hmm. have the girls home later than expected. The reason why this starts to get weird to me here, Captain, is it's 1137, you know, according Mm -hmm. to Daniel, they left the campground at 930. So now we're over the two-hour mark since they've been gone, and I've heard that this is supposed to be like a thirty-five-minute, maybe forty-minute trip home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand that they stopped at the McDonald's, and now they're making a second stop at the Sunoco. But but still, we're starting to see an amount of time elapse that seems seems a little mm-hmm. more than necessary to me.
1: Yeah. Well, I think one, like I, I tell everybody, you know, go forward. Five minutes or back five minutes, and you're going to be a little off. But I mean, you know, McDonald's parking—it's—it's not a drive-through. You know, at nine thirty in the morning or ten o'clock in the morning, it's—it's a parking lot. Mm So how long did they spend there? I, I don't know. It they could have be-
0: stayed and ate there or ate in the car. Um, that would right, take right. up some time, especially these being young children. You would have to help them, assist them, make sure that you don't end up with ketchup smeared all over the back seat.
1: Yeah, or you stop and you eat in the parking lot, and then you take everybody in to use the restroom. Mm-hmm. So, I mean,
0: But again, I th- I'm i starting to see a, a, a time elapse here that seems a little more yeah, than Yeah, it necessary. seems a little fishy. Well, at 12 p.m. at noon, um, by this time, Diane... And right,
1: well, quick question. When she makes the phone call um, to the girl's mother, is she able to like finish the conversation? It's like a complete conversation?
0: Yeah, it's okay. a complete conversation, basically just stating that they're running later than expected and she'll have the girl's home later than expected. Okay. Uh, by noon, they have made their way. This is Diane in the red... Uh, Ford Windstar van, along with the children, they've made their way to Interstate 87. Mm-hmm. Now, we have an eyewitness here as well. His name is Gerald Salerno, Soler, sorry, and he is driving in a vehicle as well. He's traveling south on Interstate 87 when he says that a vehicle came up on him rather quickly. This is the red Ford Windstar van. And the vehicle started jumping back and forth between two lanes.
1: Yeah. It's going from the right lane to the center lane, back to the right lane.
0: Exactly. And it's changing. The vehicle's changing lanes very aggressively,
1: but he also claims that it was precise mm-hmm. that it wasn't like, it was wasn't it like, swerving right, right, or it aggressively shift
0: the lane more like somebody trying to get somewhere fast. Right. Um, Aggressively changing lanes, and he can see the driver. It's a female driver, and she appears to be holding onto the wheel as mm-hmm. normal. And But he says intensely focusing on the road is what he could tell. Um, this is the first incident where we start having reports of some something going on in the vehicle, that there's some erratic driving going on. That leads us to 12, 13 p.m we have another eyewitness involved here now we're at the location of the Harriman Toll Plaza now the eyewitness here is Francis Bagley and he's driving in his vehicle and his vehicle is in front of the red Ford Windstar van mm-hmm. uh and he states that Diane's car the van was so close to his that he could not see her headlights you know so she's tailgating him basically
1: oh, that's the worst
0: and he can't see her headlights, uh, and she starts to honk the car at Francis and his vehicle. And <laughs> right, honk
1: the horn, and yeah. she's
0: she's honking, yeah, so honking as if to tell him to get out of the way. Uh-huh. Um, and at some point, she pulls out onto the shoulder as if she's going to pass him in that way. However, she does not pass him. Instead of passing him, she just simply pulls back into the lane, and once again, she is behind. Francis. Now, Francis describes the driving to his wife. That's with him. You know, she, he says, well, "This person must be some kind of nut right. because you know she's she's all over the road. She's honking the horn at me, and she's trying to pass using the shoulder. This is some kind of nut that's behind." Well, right, us. but
1: I mean, we I think we all can agree. I mean, people that use their horn excessively are are crazy people. It's yeah. like it's like when you're sitting on a light and it turns green, and you, somebody starts honking right away. Right, like shut up. Okay, just shut up. Get up. That is not what the purpose of the horn is for.
0: Well, she continues to honk the horn at at Francis's car. Don't be that person. And this is as he is pulling off of the uh, uh, off of the thruway there. Right. And they're going to a rest stop. Mm -hmm. Now, this is one of those larger rest stops, the kind where there's a parking section for the semi trucks and parking for regular vehicles. Now, Francis and his wife, Jean, they continue straight ahead, which leads them to the general parking area. And Diane, who is still behind them, she now actually pulls off into the truck parking area. Uh, this is where Jean sees Diane open mm-hmm. up the door to the van. And she gets Diane gets out of the van and she says that Diane was possibly getting sick, you know, maybe possibly throwing up. Um, Gene sees Diane kind of hunched over in in a manner that would allude that she's probably getting sick on the side of yeah, the road. Yeah, physically
1: there. ill. And, and so then the whole thing is that they go into the rest stop and then when they come out, they're thinking, you know, well, maybe we're going to see her and mm-hmm. then maybe we'll confront her at this point. They don't really, they're not very sure that there's children in the vehicle
0: right because all they see is diane and as the captain said um you know francis and gene say that they did not see diane or see the driver or the vehicle again because mm-hmm. the, uh francis had every intention of confronting the driver you know and, and saying hey maybe back it off a little bit you know
1: yeah or stop being an asshole yeah right
0: but he doesn't have that opportunity uh at twelve fifty-five p.m uh, this is where we start seeing some more activity with Diane's phone. There is a wrong number that is called uh, and dialed from Diane's phone. Mm-hmm. Um, shortly after that, this puts us at one o one p.m. Uh,
1: you know, they, they kind of don't go over this point. But to me, I wonder, you know, one, is it one of those phones where you just like dial the numbers? And then once you get to a certain number, it just dials. Maybe, it, maybe it's a pocket dial. Hmm. You know what I mean? Or was it like an area code that somewhat made sense?
0: Yeah. Um, or, or is it, she's misdialing the phone because she's getting sick and right. I mean, getting sick is no easy thing. I mean, yeah, like yeah. you can't really do a whole lot of other things when, when you're going through that. Yeah.
1: Especially if it's vomiting. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. And so at one Oh one PM, Diane calls uh war enhanced. Now remember this is Diane's brother. And on this call, Diane, um, as described as Warren, he says that she sounds disheveled, almost incoherent at times. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she even calls her brother Warren. She calls him Daniel, which, of course, is Diane's husband's name. Um, Warren is concerned because he can hear the kids in the background and they sound like they are crying. And he is getting extremely worried about the children and his sister. Uh, So he tells her, you know what? Diane, it sounds like you got something going on here. Why don't you stay put? And I will come up there and I will go and get you and I will get the kids. It's also around this time that the oldest niece, um, remember, this is eight year old Emma, uh, she is on the phone with her parents and she is saying that there is something wrong with Aunt Diane. Um, and that, she, you know, so she's on the phone with either her father or mother or both and she's telling them, a few different things um, Mm -hmm. that, that the aunt Diane can't see and that there's something wrong with aunt Diane. Now remember Warren had just shortly got off the phone with Diane stating, stay where you are, right? You know, I'm going to come and get you and get the kids.
1: Well, let's get back to this timeline right after this quick.
0: The evidence keeps pouring in at this point. The facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly. Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go, for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy,
2: I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com garage today.
0: Fuel up for them with Factor's No Prep, No Mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's Fresh, Never Frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add ons to choose from every week, at factormealscom com slash true crime garage five zero to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. While your subscription is active break and we're back and where we left off, we had just talked about these phone calls that are happening. Okay. So we have the, the call with Emma. She's the oldest girl. She's only eight years old. She's in the Ford windstar van with Diane who's driving and she's called her parents to say that there's something wrong with aunt Diane that uh, she can't see. And it sounds like they're in need of help here. Now Diane was on the phone with Warren, her brother, and this is the phone call where Warren says that she sounded incoherent and that she's calling him by the wrong name and he can hear the children crying in the background and this phone call only takes place for about two to two and a half minutes. And it ends pretty abruptly here. Um, at one ten p.m., someone dials three wrong numbers from Diane's phone. We'd already seen the call take place earlier where a wrong number was dialed from her phone. Now we're seeing three. This is happening three times now, shortly after one o'clock. Mm-hmm. At one fifteen, Warren is trying to reach his sister. He's calling her back uh but
1: his- I think about this panic state yeah i yeah. mean your your sister which we we ha- from all the accounts in the documentary it seems like you know pretty a normal mother pretty normal person uh and now you're trying to get a hold of her and she's you know talking gibberish on your last call now you're trying to get a hold of her and it, it's mainly going to straight to voicemail Mm
0: mm-hmm. mhm Yeah. And and like you said, not only pretty normal person, but we had said driven, you know, and we're seeing a a situation where her and her husband don't work the same hours. And so she's probably the mom that's putting in the more time and carrying the heavy load of being a mother and a parent and taking care of the kids while he's working nights. And not only that, she must be a, a good parent because who would let their three daughters go with her on a weekend camping trip If she wasn't, you know, so this is, this is something that's of a surprise to Warren. And, and like you said, the panic here, you don't, you're on the other end of the phone and you don't know what's going on. You have no control over what's happening on the other end. Mm -hmm. And you're only getting information from, uh, your daughter who's very young that doesn't really know what's going on. And from your, your sister who is not making any sense to you. You have the situation where you're concerned about what's going on, yet you you have no control over it, and your children are there. And, yeah. and, and they can't could do be anything in danger. about it. Yeah. yeah. And at 1.15 p.m., as we said, Warren's trying to reach his sister, and this phone call just goes straight to her voicemail. Uh, by this time, Diane has made it just past the Tappan Zee Bridge toll area, and there is a little pull-off section there where you can pull your car off, and she must have pulled off there because later someone would find Diane's cell phone right. on one of those like waist high barrier divider type things. Uh, she had placed her phone on top of that barrier when, while pulled over. It is also thought that she may have been getting sick again at this time. Uh, to this point, her route, her route is just really what you would expect her to take. You know, the route from the campground to her home. Um, and that, that's what's strange here to me because here she is in route going from the campgrounds to her home and it's, it's taking a considerable amount of time again. Well,
1: right. But we have her stopping at the rest stop. Now she's stopping at the shoulder,
0: but, but to our knowledge, she's not lost or she's not taking a wrong turn or anything like that. Mm -hmm. She is following the route uh, pretty well here, but it's at about this time that Diane would veer off of that route. Authorities are not quite sure what route Diane would have taken to get to the Taconic state parkway area Mm -hmm. as there are several options for this. But by this time, she is now nearing the Taconic state parkway area and she is no longer in route to her home. After these strange phone calls and Diane and the kids are being gone much longer than expected. Diane's brother, James and her and Diane's husband, Daniel, they are not, they are now out driving and they are going to go out looking for Diane. Now Diane is seen driving on an exit ramp. Now this is where cars are trying to exit the state parkway. And mm-hmm. she is basically using the exit ramp to enter the state parkway. Mm-hmm. Peter and Elaine Royal are driving that day. They're exit, attempting to exit off of the state park parkway and they encounter Diane, who is driving right at them, almost like they're not even there, like she doesn't see them at all. Now, Peter, who is driving, he starts flashing his lights and hitting the car horn and trying to, to let the other vehicle know, you know, you're in our way. We're, we're trying to get off of this ramp here, and you're going the wrong way. And basically, she keeps going straight at them, directly at them, and they are forced off the road and into the grass just to avoid a collision. Peter and Elaine then see Diane's vehicle go around the bend and onto the t- Taconic State Parkway.
1: So now Diane has the vehicle, the van with the children and the vehicle, mm-hmm. and she's heading south in the northbound lane. And now we're going to start getting a bunch of phone calls to 911 claiming, hey, some some lunatic is out here driving the wrong way on the freeway.
0: Yeah. And some of those calls, they're going to report her, the vehicle traveling at about 70 mile per hour, um, going the wrong way. And so let's think about this. Diane is, she drives 1.7 miles the wrong way in the fast lane, mind you. So she is only on the parkway for less than two minutes traveling at that speed. Mm -hmm. She hits a vehicle The Ford Windstar van hits a vehicle and this vehicle is like a gray Chevy trailblazer type vehicle. And, um, inside that vehicle, there are three men in there. Um, guy Bastardi, he's 49 years old, Michael Bastardi, who's 81 and Daniel Longo, who's 74. They, it's a head on collision, Mm -hmm. you know? And so if they are both, if she's going 70 mile per hour, we could assume that the other vehicles probably traveling about that same rate of speed. So, They're both traveling and they hit each other head on. And so that's, that's two vehicles hitting one another at 140 miles per hour. Now, Guy Pistardi's vehicle then hits a third vehicle. Diane's van then travels off the road down the hill and it begins to burn. The van is by the time that that people can reach this van to try to assist, the Mm -hmm. van is like fully engulfed in flames. The front of the vehicle is fully engulfed in flames. Yeah and there are two gentlemen these are, let's let's tag them good samaritans um, they are going to try to save Diane and the kids and they are attempting to pull the driver and the passengers from the burning vehicle mm-hmm. now they do have some trouble with this you know these doors aren't going to open very easily this right. if anybody's seen a picture of this vehicle it was in terrible condition and but they are able to somehow get the driver out who is Diane and her body pretty much just it just kind of like falls out of the vehicle, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's not, she's not showing any signs of life at all. Now the kids are in another portion of the vehicle. And the way that these two gentlemen describe it is that they're kind of just like piled up on one another and they are going to start pulling the children from the vehicle and checking their vital signs. And as they're doing so, the men are realizing that the, um, just like the driver, that the child passengers seem to be dead as well. They're not responding to anything. Uh, When the men get to the bottom of the pile, they find the body of a little boy, uh, but he is actually still alive, thank God, and he's fighting for his life. Uh, The men then check the other vehicles. They, They go over to the gray trailblazer, and this is where they find Guy Bastardi, Michael Bastardi, and Daniel Longo, they find those three gentlemen, and they are all deceased at this point. Also on that day, uh, along with the the three gentlemen that were in the gray trailblazer, yeah. we also have Diane Schuler, the driver of the van. She was 36. She passed away that day, as well as her daughter, Erin, and her three nieces, which are Kate, Allison, and Emma. So
1: we have this horrific scene. We have uh, eight dead. It seems like they're eight dead at the scene. We now have all these weird events that happened prior to this. We have all the eyewitnesses accounts of uh, Diane driving on the wrong side of the road. And now it becomes, well, what happened? We we need answers for this.
0: Yeah, we need to figure out why there are eight people who have lost their lives. We have, we have one sole survivor, uh, which is Brian, which is Diane's son. Uh, he suffered several broken bones and a severe head uh, injury and trauma. And he ends up remaining, uh, he's in the hospital for over two months. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, Like I said, he's, he sustained a serious head injury in the crash. And as a result, he suffers from uh, nerve palsy in his eye, uh, which affects the movement in his right eye. Uh, and of course, he's undergone surgeries and stuff like that to try to help him recover from that injury. But, mm-hmm. but as said, we need to figure out why, okay? Why was Diane driving like this? Why was she going the wrong way on on a road she had probably been on several times before? Yes, she is driving a vehicle that may be strange to her. Right. Um. You know. You, you ever notice that when you when you borrow somebody's car, you don't really know how to turn on the windshield wipers, or you know, yeah, yeah. maybe you accidentally turn on the lights instead of the windshield wipers. Yeah, but
1: you're not going to drive the wrong way on a freeway because you're borrowing a car. Right. Um. And my, you know, my initial thought on all this is, you know, some kind of stroke. You know, that's what it seems like to me. Maybe, uh, you know, uh, with, with the children, you know, claiming that she's having a hard time seeing, um, and she seems disoriented on on some level. So, is it a stroke? Is it an oncoming heart attack? But, the, it, but what's so strange for me is, well, why does she keep driving? Why doesn't she stop? Yeah, and maybe, and then when we talk about when she goes onto this different path because I don't know the area is she trying to reach somebody and it, uh, was it that she felt bad and felt sick and, and thought, well, I'm just going to try to get home. And then at some point it's like, I can't get home and it's that fight or flight mentality. And it's now I'm going to just try to get help. I'm going to try to go to the hospital or something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but, but if it's a stroke, maybe, and again, I'm not a doctor or a nurse. I'm a captain. Okay. I know about boats. That's about it. But, you know, is she so disillusional from this on onset of a stroke? But wouldn't we be able to see that in the medical records?
0: Yeah. Well, and they, you know, and the other thing, too, is why did this trip that, that should have taken about 35 minutes, you know, plus some time for stopping off. But we're talking four hours. The crash took place mm-hmm. at 1.35 p.m. Right. They left at 9.30 you know, this is four hours has elapsed here, um, so let me introduce the the attorney that um, that the family, the Schuler family, would be working with after the accident. Uh, his name is Dominic Barber, and um, he. Some people might know him from the Howard Stern show. He used mm-hmm. to be. I don't. I don't know if he was friends with Howard Stern or if he was a friend of the show, but he used to be on there from time to time. He's kind of a uh let's say lawyer to some 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 stars maybe some entertainers okay. um but uh he he would come out very shortly afterwards with a press conference and him and Daniel um Diane's husband are going to say that we don't understand what happened because in the in the autopsy that followed they they did an autopsy this, the day after the crash yeah and it was pretty quickly determined that she had some things in her system that, that you know well, she had right. alcohol in her right. system, so she had over THC in bit. her
1: system. So she had a blood alcohol level of 0. 0.9, which is roughly about 10 drinks. Now, I don't know if that's 10 beers or tri- 10 shots. Uh, there was a uh, vodka, a bottle of vodka found in the van. So one could assume that if she was drinking, that's what she was drinking, 0. 0.9. And then she was also found with some uh, THC.
0: Well, in her system as it's, well it's 0.19 0.19 nine. Yeah. Okay. 0.9 she would have expired a long okay. time before but uh so blood blood alcohol content for her was 0.19 um and she also tested high for a high level of thc and as the captain said we're talking about to get to that level it's approximately you know you got to factor in weight and all these other things but once you figure that out it factors in that she probably had about 10 drinks, 10 alcoholic drinks.
1: Well, I'm, I'm operating at 0.9 all the
0: time. Well, we all know from health class, but you know, let's review real quick what that alcohol level means for most or all of us. So 0.06 to 0.10%. Uh, what you will experience is reduced information processing, uh, impaired reflexes, impaired depth perception, okay. the inability to judge distances, uh, your peripheral vision and speed control, all those things are going to be impaired. Uh, now, once you get a little bit higher, from 0.11 to 0.20%, uh, you have everything that we just talked about, plus your reaction time is now severely impaired, yeah. your motor control is severely impaired, and you are probably staggering or and experiencing slurred speech. Now, 0.3 to 0.39, it is likely that you will die at that level. So she's at 0.19. That should give you an idea of the level of intoxication that she had. Now that we mentioned the THC on top of that, keep in mind that alcohol increases the absorption of THC, meaning that it can enhance it. So they believe due to the high THC levels that she would have smoked marijuana or ingested marijuana sometime between 15 minutes to one hour before the crash took place.
1: Yeah. And I mean, this is all confusing to me because again, I mean, the husband is saying, yeah, okay, well she would smoke pot occasionally and uh, she would drink occasionally. So this is very abnormal. And again, I don't know, Mind, maybe she had a migraine or something. Maybe she's just trying to self-medicate. It's kind of a very strange thing to be driving kids and trying to self-medicate. She doesn't seem to be that type of person.
0: Well, there, the family's attorney, as well as the husband would say that Diane is not an alcoholic. She was not an alcoholic. She rarely had a drink. Mm-hmm. Um, they both claim that Diane's erratic driving was due to a medical issue. They believe she may have suffered a stroke. Right. Uh, they mm-hmm. also have stated that Diane suffered from diabetes, but this is rumored to have been just, uh, gestational, uh, diabetes, which is like a temporary condition. It's not, you know, chronic condition. Uh-huh. Uh, di-
1: well, you know, I'm just going to go off on a uh, on rant for a minute. I had a really good friend of mine, guy that was in good shape, um, played at gigs with him. He, he would drive down from Cleveland and he, uh, was not diagnosed with diabetes and he was driving home and pretty much was hallucinating I, 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 again, I'm not a freaking doctor, so don't don't judge me. Um, but he was driving home and basically like hallucinating. He didn't have any clue of what's happening. Pretty much was blacking out. And then he pulls over on the side of the road or almost wrecks. And a two-hour drive, it took him um, hours and hours and hours to get home. Mm-hmm same type of situation. Now he didn't go, you know, on to head on traffic or anything, but then because of that incident, they were, he was checked out and then he was diagnosed with diabetes. Mm. So that, you know, was her condition getting worse and, and on on another onset?
0: Yeah. But the, you know, we have the autopsy that's conducted just the day after the crash.
1: Right. Okay, and now, that's red flags everywhere.
0: Yeah, in in the family, and the attorney are bringing up all these possible health issues or a health reason being the cause for her driving that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, they even bring up a tooth abscess that she had uh, for about seven weeks prior to her death. Um, apparently, this was something that was going untreated. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the in the actual autopsy, they specifically state that the medical examiner found that she had not suffered, that Diane had not suffered from a stroke, an aneurysm, or a heart attack. Right. So those three things are ruled out right there. And the, what the glaring red flags are here is the alcohol level as well as the THC levels.
1: Well, and, and the, what's confusing is is a, uh, there's a part of you that does, doesn't want to believe that this autopsy is real. You know right. what I mean? Like they there they make these claims and then maybe they're just wrong mm-hmm. or, or maybe they got mixed up somehow, you know, this paperwork got shuffled with this paperwork, wrong name, you know, different, different autopsy. I, I you know, the, that is a possibility. The likelihood of that, I would say is pretty slim to none.
0: Right. And then we have the finding of the vodka bottle,
1: right? Which the husband claims, you know, yeah, we have a vodka bottle, And it's in the camper. And, you know, we'd go out and, you know, at night when the kids go to sleep, we might have a couple drinks. That's pretty normal. Mm -hmm. Uh, He thought it was odd that it was in the van. Yeah. So here's a little clip of the husband being interviewed by Larry King talking about this vodka bottle.
2: Daniel, how do you explain the vodka? We usually...
1: We'll keep it in our camper throughout the whole season. One bottle. Why? Why?
0: You know, you have pina coladas. You Sitting you, by a campfire, right, with a the camp fire.
1: What was the vodka bottle doing in the car? My wife
0: packed all the bags that day in the camper and leaves them by the door. I carry them from the camper to the trucks. I'm very surprised that the vodka bottle was in there. I had no idea. I don't well, know why does it give on. you,
2: does it give you pause to think that maybe, just maybe, she was
1: a drinker and you didn't know it? I've been with her 13 years. Absolutely not. Daniel, why appear here? Why keep on doing this? The truth, mm. the truth will come
0: out. Well, Larry, you have to understand. Danny doesn't want the other families to think that a drunk driver killed their families. That's why we are out to
1: prove that she, try to prove that she wasn't drunk. So basically we have this autopsy saying that she had this high blood alcohol level and then she also had some weed in her system. Mm -hmm. And now we have this husband saying, okay, again, we're gonna try to, this is not true. So again, so maybe there's that possibility that the autopsy is just, they messed up somehow, did the wrong autopsy on the wrong person. The likelihood of that doesn't seem like much. And then in the documentary you see a psychologist talk about Sometimes when the tragic event happens that people go on the other side of the spectrum. So all this bad thing happened. Now they're dead and now we don't think anything bad of them and we go to sainthood, mm-hmm. right? So she was a saint. She was this great mother and maybe there were some things that were going on in her life and the husband didn't know. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a good possibility. And then if with this absent tooth, Anybody that's had a root canal or needed a root canal, that is one of the most painful things that you can go through. And maybe it was only for a couple weeks, and she's now driving home, and she's in a bunch of pain, and for some reason, she, oh, well, if I take a couple shots, maybe that helps. I mean, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but I don't know how much pain she was in. I mean, we know that she stopped to get some kind of Advil or something, but it's, you know, it, it doesn't line much of this doesn't line up
0: but that also brings up a good point here could she have been a could she have been a functioning alcoholic without her husband knowing you know is he is he just going on the forefront here and and taking one for the team and standing up for her covering up her you know things her her bad things for her now that she's gone or or did he not even know you know
1: um, well, and like we talked about before, they worked opposite schedules, so it is possible.
0: I, and I agree with that statement because, and I'll tell you what. Here's the thing, too, for for alcoholics that are hiding their alcoholism, right. vodka can be the the choice alcohol, yeah, right? Because you know,
1: the, right, and you normally don't smell it, and so you go through. It's McDonald's, clear. You right. don't
0: smell it. It's something that you can kind of put in everything else that you drink. Um, you know, I I have firsthand um, an experience with a, with alcoholism. Well, no, with a person that, that was hiding their alcoholism. Uh, Uh, and now thank God this person is in great health and has fully recovered and no longer drinks. But for years, this guy, he, he drank and he hid it from his family Mm -hmm. and he used to, what he would do is vodka was his choice as well because not because he loved vodka, but because he could hide it easily from the family. And, you know, he would go outside to take a smoke break and, he would keep a bottle of gar- hidden in the garage mm-hmm. or outside somewhere he'd go outside and smoke a cigarette and chug a little bit of vodka each time well they only caught on to this because eventually he started falling over and uh, having some some health problems and but he was able to hide this from them for years
1: well my big question is is this the is this the vodka bottle from the camper Right. You know, because the family is not going to come out and go, well, you know what? We looked in the camper and guess what? We saw a bottle of vodka because that to me, if there's still a bottle of vodka in the camper and there was one in the van and we'll never know that because they do have an agenda. I mean, they say so at the end of that clip, we're, we're coming out. We're trying to prove, we're going to prove that she was having a stroke or something and she was an alcoholic or she didn't have yeah. a drug problem. And again, Maybe that drug problem wasn't, you know, uh, you know, her mother left her. I don't know why her mom left her. Maybe her mother had a drinking problem. Who knows? And she didn't talk about it. And this husband didn't, you know, bring it up and didn't pry into this, which, uh, whatever. I think you should know your wife a little bit better than that. But, uh, but maybe her mom had some drinking problems. Who knows? But th- that's a very good possibility.
0: There's also a possibility that this bottle of vodka had nothing to do with a bottle that was in the camper. Maybe there wasn't even a bottle in the camper. Maybe this bottle could have just been something she kept stashed away on our on, in her own belongings or in right, the vehicle right. that she was driving, that it was, in fact, something that she was hiding from everybody.
1: Right. Now, the other question is the weed. We have alcohol that was found in our system, uh, 019 and then now we have this uh, this weed, which would be more potent because she was drinking, is right. what the uh, coroner was saying. So this is the husband's uh, answer about the weed.
0: On a rare occasion she would, but definitely not that weekend. Absolutely not. Was it something she used to relax? Was it something she used for stress? Was it something she used for... On an occasion. Or? On an occasion to relax. That's all not true. Everything you hear is not true. When did she use marijuana? Did she use it when she was at work? She used it. No, no. It was I think mostly to be able to get a good night's sleep. I think it was after everything was
1: done, clothes were ironed, laundry's done, kids are in bed, books are read, everything was done, and maybe she'd have some before she went to sleep. It wasn't like you would ever think she you know, you never look at her and think she smoked pot, but some people do. Did she ever discuss it with you?
0: Like why she took it
2: or
1: what was it? No, I just knew that she smoked. Okay, somebody please tell me what a weed person looks like. Because that's what I hear in the interview. She, well, I mean, if you looked at her, she didn't. If you looked at her, she didn't look like somebody that smoked the weed. What does a weed person look like? Well, okay, I, first of all. And then the husband. This is what drives me nuts. Is the husband says, occasionally, occasionally. Occasionally, she smoked the pot. Occasionally, she do that, and but she didn't look like a weed person, right? Okay. And then at the end of the interview, that lady is saying, "Well, but I knew she smoked pot, so she obviously smoked enough pot that this person was well aware of it, mm-hmm. more aware of it than it seems like the husband was." Yeah. Again, I think this is the saintdom thing. Uh, she never would have done
0: this. Well, the, here's here's a couple things that I noticed about that clip in particular okay there was more telling things about that of the thc clip than the alcohol clip for me and here's the two things that pointed out one is what i didn't hear in the clip okay when when i read the report the medical Mm -hmm. examiner's report that says to have a thc level that, that that was that high she must have consumed the marijuana within 15 minutes to an hour before the crash Well, that puts her in the company of four children. Yeah. What I did not hear in that clip was her husband saying, yeah, she smoked pot, but she would have never have done it around the children. I didn't hear that in the clip because my first thought is, you know, we, we all know people that smoke some weed, you know, but (laughs) But okay. but but here's the thing. Do we do we know mm. people? Do I know people that smoke weed around their children? No, because I wouldn't be friends with those people. Right, right. You know what I mean? That would be the first yeah, like but, big I mean, red flag to me saying these yeah. are small children. These are small children. And I don't know how the editor c- cut up this sound bite or right, took right. his interview and and cut it up. But The thing is, I wanted to hear that in that clip. No, I I wanted to hear that she would have never done that in front of the children because you spend the whole documentary telling me what a good mother and what a good wife and a good person she was. However, I did not hear she would have never have done that in front of the children. Now, what I did hear in that clip was the sister-in-law stating that, well, yeah, she smoked it sometimes to get a good night's sleep. Well, that was a red flag to me too. Why? Because of something you and I had discussed earlier. Uh We had said, Daniel says his wife is not an alcoholic. Daniel says that his wife only smokes weed occasionally. Daniel is at work four or five, maybe six nights a week at nighttime when she is done with her workday, when she is done taking care of the children. Who knows? Who knows? Could she perceive, could she have been smoking pot and drinking every night after she put the young children to bed and black out or have some horrible alcoholism problem or addiction problems that he was unaware of? I think it's possible because of their separate schedules.
1: Well, and also, I mean, he's, he's a man, you know, he's, how much is he paying attention to his wife? I don't know. I'm just going to assume not a lot, you know, but I mean, that's just where I'm going with. And, uh, it's, but no, but I think we throw people under the bus. Like, I mean, people drink around their kids and we don't shame them super hard. You know, I think, uh, yeah, I'm. Mean, I'm not saying that you should be, you know, passing a joint around when your kids are in the room, but um, but no, I. Yeah, this is just very odd.
0: Now, among after hiring the attorney, the family would then hire a private investigator or investigative firm to to kind of they want to discredit the autopsy findings and they want to bring to light that they that their mom and their wife was not an alcoholic. She was not drunk. She was not high when this crash happened, that this was a medical, there was some kind of medical reason for this crash.
1: Right. Which makes a lot of logical sense. I mean, like I said, I mean, the thing about the diabetes or a stroke or something of that nature, and I'm not faulting the husband because if the husband is not aware of this stuff, then how, how can he address the problem? And so this could essentially be the first time that he's actually hearing about this being a problem, and and it, what he's going off is if he loves this person, and obviously loved his kids, and one of his kids died in it, and the other kid, you know, went through uh, you know, all these surgeries and and almost didn't make it, and then his three nieces died in this. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm not faulting him for going well. What what the fuck happened, right? And and if it is the first time of him learning about any of this. Then his first reaction is going to be going, I can't believe it. Mm-hmm. I can't believe it. It's just like when somebody you know, is married and their spouse is living a separate life, maybe for a year, maybe for a couple of years. And when it all comes out in the wash, they can't believe it because they didn't see it coming. And maybe that is what's happening here. It's just with an addiction problem.
0: Yeah. And, and, but there's also that level of denial too amongst the survivors. Um, but back to the private investigator, the, the, the Shuler family, they hired, uh, Tom Ruskin and his investigative firm. Mm -hmm. Um, they end up complaining quite a bit about, um, about this investigative firm and Tom Ruskin. Uh, they really don't think that he did anything other than take their money.
1: Obviously the family wants answers, right? But this is, seems like it's very spearheaded by Jay Schuler, the other aunt, the sister-in-law of Daniel. And so when they get this lawyer involved and they get this investigator involved, the investigator starts asking for $10,000, $15,000. And she has to get the other family members involved to in order to pay for this.
0: Yeah, I think he ends up charging them close to $30,000 in the end.
1: Right, and what did he do? I, I'm not really for sure. And this guy just seems kind of like a scumbag because in the documentary, when the when the film is, the filmmakers are trying to get him to do an interview. It's just not worth our time. Twenty five thousand uh, dollars. Twenty five thousand dollars to be on a, on a documentary. Yeah. Like documentaries don't make any money. They don't have any document. You know, Ken Burns is not some you know. Billionaire,
0: I'll do a documentary for fifteen hundred bucks.
1: <laughs> I'll do one for fifty bucks in case of beer.
0: I agree with you, Captain. When when they play that part where Tom Ruskin's on the phone with the documentarian and being asked if he would be, you know, present the story or his findings to the documentary, mm-hmm. and he and he gives that answer of, well, they want twenty or twenty five thousand dollars to be on the documentary. That was a very slime ball answer. In my opinion, I understand that you want to get paid for your time and that you are running a business, but, but you've already been paid by the family. You know, this benefits the family. Uh, you were paid to release your findings to the family. Um, so it was a very slime ball answer in my opinion. Now he would go on to state that the investigation included interviewing Diane's family and friends Mm -hmm. canvassing the campground in the driving route for leads in obtaining the video footage from the sunoco station and according to tom ruskin all monies were spent on those activities as well as additional lab tests now i will say those lab tests are not cheap first of all right. and second of all to his credit they did find his investigative firm found the surveillance footage at the sunoco that that was not something that that was presented by anybody else
1: yeah i mean a slimeball answer but at the end of the day who knows i mean there's three sides to every story right his side their side and the truth and it could be just that you know jay Schuler or whoever hounded him so much and maybe was so rude to him that they were he just thought you know what i i I, the, I did a bunch of work you don't think i did i was paid for that work and now you're asking me for more stuff and i'm just done with this all
0: Well, and the results of those additional lab tests that they conducted were Mm -hmm. the same results that the medical examiner's office came up with originally. So here you run into a problem of, okay, I work for you. You've paid me X amount of dollars to help you get to the truth of this matter. Unfortunately, the conclusion I came to is what we already knew. Was, or, it the truth has not changed in my opinion and so mm-hmm. I'm now telling you something that you don't want to hear so you're dissatisfied yeah. with my investigation because it didn't have the outcome or the results that you were looking for
1: that you wanted or is this guy such a slime ball that he charges them for these tests and never has new tests done uh, I mean I don't know I mean i I couldn't find any evidence of that but I want to put you know if he is a slime ball I want to put that past a slime ball
0: right right I do want to point out that it has been reported that Daniel accepted a, an offer, you know, they did this documentary Mm -hmm. uh, and that he accepted, accepted an offer for a hundred thousand dollars from that film company to do what would end up being the HBO documentary. Uh, This was back in 2010. Um, Now I don't, I'm not going to fault Daniel for this at all.
1: No, he's a uh, single father. Now
0: he's a single father. And he, I, I do believe that there's a part of him that believes that there's more truth out there and that he didn't have the ability to do that on his own. Uh, And I think he thought maybe this documentary would give him the answers he was looking for. I think what ends up happening is he gets the, gets reminded of the answers he didn't want to hear in the first place, but I don't fault him for taking the money because as you said, he's a single father there, there's an investigative firm to pay that that, that costs you almost thirty thousand dollars well and there's, and, those, and there's, there's all si- there's there's surgeries for your son right right and on top of that there's going to be lawsuits that uh are going to end up being filed you know in uh December of 2010 uh the bastardi family filed a lawsuit against Diane Schuler and against her brother Warren Hance, who now he was the owner of the vehicle, right? And now some people, if you you know, if you're involved in uh, civil uh, suits and things like that, you you will know that any good attorney will tell you that if 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 I'm walking down the street and the lamppost falls on me, well, I don't just sue. I don't just sue the person that that owned the house that owned the lamppost. I I'm to sue the homeowner. I'm to sue. Uh, the, the manufacturer. I'm um, to sue the manufacturer of the lamppost, yeah. uh, maybe even the manufacturer of the light bulb. Um, they will reach out and they will sue everybody because you're, you know, you're hoping to get rewarded some money outside of court or that, that these other proceedings will enhance, uh, right. But you the are, lawsuit. right.
1: But you are, you're suing the father of these three young uh, girls. Yeah. You're, and, and at, oh, at the oh, end you're of you're suing
0: the day. her estate. Um yes. And I, you know it, it's rough I think to sue the the yeah, no, the no, Warren, no, the right, Warren right. brother.
1: That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. The, the state fine, but you're suing the brother that just lost his three daughters and the, to me that's that's wrong.
0: In July of 2011, um Jackie Hance, she filed a lawsuit uh against her brother-in-law Daniel Schuler. Um this would be the mother of the three nieces. Um, So we we have all kinds of legal proceedings that need to take place and lawsuits that uh, need to be dealt with. Um, You know, there's really there's really nothing good that can come of this. Um, There's I don't think that anybody's going to get the answers that they want. I think at the end of the day, she was intoxicated. She was high. Um, Can I prove that? No other than other than the toxicology test
1: i mean you can the autopsy that's the that's the proof
0: what i mean is i can't can't say she was drinking vodka in the van i can't say that she was smoking a joint in front of the kids i can't say any of that because we don't know that for certain but we have the lab test
1: well and will the son ever remember yeah you know the son might one day say no i do remember her her drinking uh, who knows?
0: Yeah. The the only real statement that they've passed along that he seems to say when they've pushed him for answers as to what had happened was that he said something to the nature that she had hurt her head or that uh, she could. She was having trouble seeing, uh, right. which was reported by one of the nieces on the phone as well. I think what we have here, Captain, is we have four hours that, that passed and we have a lot of that time that's not accounted for. And I think that during that time is when she was consuming alcohol and when she was consuming marijuana. Now, according to the documentary, she's a very good mom. She's a very good person. She's a very good wife. I believe all three of those things. Mm -hmm. I've seen pictures of these children. None of them appeared to be malnourished or abused or not taken care of appropriately. I think all that was going on. I think she was a hard worker. I think she was a good mom. She was a good wife. Mm -hmm. Just not on that day. Not that day. She wasn't right. and I, I apologize, but that's, that's what I see here.
1: Yeah. And I think the only, you know, if there was some weird medical thing that was happening and that caused the drinking or that caused the smoking, I, and again, I'm, I'm not a doctor, so I, I, I don't, it doesn't make any logical sense to get to that point. At the end of the day, this is this horrible, tragic thing. And, uh, these children lost their lives The you know, the mother lost their life, um,
0: the three innocent men. The three innocent the men vehicle.
1: and the, you know, wrong place at the wrong time. I mean, that's, uh, could you imagine, uh, you know, what their families are going through? It's this overall, this sad, tragic event. Um, uh, and my hearts go out for everybody that's involved. And, uh, hopefully again, I, I went to say, hopefully there's answers, but I don't think it matters. You know, like, I, I don't think it matters if she was a drunk driver or if it was a, a medical thing. It, you know, maybe it matters as far as like a civil lawsuit and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, it doesn't bring back these, these individuals.
0: I was pleased to see at the end of the documentary, they were talking about Brian. Brian is the little boy that survived the crash. Uh, I was happy to see that he apparently is receiving counseling. And okay. that he's going to some form of counseling. I hope that they see that through because here's the thing, man, uh, Warren and Jackie. Um, I hope I got their names right. The, but the, the mother and father of, of the three nieces, right. Uh, they lost all three. They lost their, all their children that day. Yeah. And, and I don't know, you know, I'm a big advocate. You are as well for counseling and for seeking out help and talking about things and, and working through things. I don't know that there's any, any way through that. I I
1: mean, the the pain of losing a child is uh, something that people, you know, unless you've gone through it yourself, you have no idea of of what you have to deal with mentally.
0: And and they they lost all of them that day. I don't know that there's any getting through that Mm -hmm. Um, now, but the thing is here, Brian, yes, he lost his mother. Yes, he lost his sister. But he's at a young enough age that with the right amount of counseling, with the right help, this doesn't have to ruin his life as well, Mm -hmm. that that he, he may be able to recover from this and live a normal life. Um, and you know,
1: and that, well, here's the thing. Would I recommend watching the documentary? Uh, it's, it's depressing. It's It's a Debbie Downer. It's, it's more than a Debbie Downer. I mean, it's horribly depressing. Um, was it a crime? Yes, there was a crime involved. There's homicides, vehicular homicide, but it is a crime. Uh, this, like we said, this was suggested by the listeners, uh, in overwhelming amounts. And, uh, so I blame you guys for, uh, suggesting it and making, uh, me super sad that day. So th- thanks a lot for that.
0: Well, and, and to, to to kind of underline, was this a crime or not? Uh, I can read you the statement from the medical examiner. Um, you know, according to the Westchester medical examiner, the crash was quickly ruled a homicide because of all of the victims were killed due to Diane's driving, regardless of toxicology findings in August 18, 2009. This is, this is less than a month after the crash. The Westchester district attorney said no charges will be filed in the incident as Diane Schuler was the only person responsible and Diane Schuler died in the crash and the charges died that day with her.
1: Right. Again, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting documentary, but I don't think that outweighs, um, the horrific nature and the horrific tragedy is with the innocent men losing their lives and, and these innocent children as well. All right, I'm officially depressed. Do we have any recommended reading this week?
0: Uh, This week, I would like to recommend Bloodstains by Jeff Mudgett. Well, this Um,
1: sounds like a happy book.
0: Well, this this might take your mind elsewhere because this is based on a true story. Well, you say, well, that's weird for True Crime Garage to recommend a based on a true story book. But there are some, he, this is a very good story. And and when I get into it here in a second, you'll realize why. But he says because there are some things and worried about some people coming after him, that, okay. that it was listed as fiction. But to him, it's a true story. So you have to read this and figure out if you believe his story or not. Mm-hmm. And what is this story about? So according to this book, Jeff Mudgett is the great, great grandson of Herman Webster Mudgett who is better known to you and I as Dr. H.H. Holmes. And in Jeff Mudgett's book, Bloodstains, Jeff says that he has some insider knowledge that H.H. Holmes lived longer than anyone thinks, that H.H. Holmes was not put to death, and that he was actually involved in the Jack the Ripper case as well. Wow! This is a must-read, in my opinion, for those of you that want to find out more about H.H. Holmes. You know, we recommended... Uh, the Devil in the White City, uh, months ago, which is another H.H. H. Holmes book. Uh, but this one is quite different. And I wouldn't say that this is a must-read for Jack the Ripper readers, as this story really has little to do with The Ripper. But if you are like me and if you've heard one Ripper theory, you want to hear them all.
1: Mm-hmm. And this is a great time to dive into H. H. Holmes with the new movie coming out with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, our buddy as if we hang out with him. (laughs) Uh, He'll be playing H.H. Holmes in a new movie coming up, I think, next year.
0: Yeah, and I believe that that movie is based off of the book, The Devil in the White City. So uh, pick up uh, Bloodstains by Jeff Mudgett today, and you can do that by going to our website, truecrimegarage.com, and click on the recommended page, and you will see all of our other recommended books as well as uh, one of our documentaries that we recommended. And, of course, it goes without saying, but we're going to say it anyway because it's so important. Do not drink and drive, please. Do not smoke and drive. Don't buzz drive. Do not uh, text and drive. You know, Mm -hmm. I I tell you what, that texting and driving is almost as bad, if not worse than Oh, the worst thing
1: in the world is when you're driving down the road and you see a car swerving into your lane oncoming traffic and you know that son of a bitch is just sending a text.
0: Yeah. Put down your
1: damn phone.
0: Yeah. And with New Year's Eve coming up, we know it's a big party night make arrangements have somebody drop you off have somebody pick you up call uber call a taxi cab uh
1: you call the captain i'll come pick your ass up
0: he's going to be picking people up all night long so do not drink a drive treat yourself good be good to yourself and everybody else out there and of course don't litter we'll see you next week